Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart, to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel 
transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all peoples. I want to welcome you to our Missions Sunday. I'm Paul Meisner, and I serve as one of the elders here at Grant and also have the privilege of working with the World Missions Planning Team. And Alice and I have privileged to be endorsed missionaries with Grant. And for 48 years, you have partnered with us personally and in the work of Bible translation, and we thank you for that. And I know I represent others that you saw on the screen as they came before you a little earlier this morning. So welcome to our service this morning. You know, given the fact that our speaker serves as the Canadian director of an organization that works in very sensitive parts of our world, and the fact that the service is being live streamed, I will not be sharing his name nor the name of his organization. He previously worked with his wife and three sons in Asia, representing Jesus among the world's largest unreached tribal people group while working in community development and education. The organization works across Africa and Asia, demonstrating the love of God and inviting the least reached to follow Jesus. And in the past, our church has sent out workers with this organization to the frontiers of the harvest field. And Alice and I first got to know the speaker when he was looking to discern God's leading in his life, contemplating serving in a cross-cultural context. And through the years, we have tracked with him and his family, and I'm privileged to call him a friend. And he's passionate to see the blessing of the kingdom of God come to those who have least access to God's word. God bless you as you share with us, and we look forward to hearing what he has prepared in your heart as we listen to you. So thanks for being with us on this Mission Sunday. Thank you. I want to thank Steve for the invitation to be here, and thank you to Paul. I think it's been about 25 years now that Paul has been consistently encouraging me in my walk with the Lord, and I'm grateful for mentors and examples like Paul and Alice. I want to start with referencing Baptism Sunday. Wasn't that great last week? Wasn't that encouraging? We saw 11 smiling people lose their nice hairstyles in just a moment. <laughs> I saw the extra people that were helping with sanitizing and getting the masks ready, and I thought, this shows how Grant has adapted tradition to continue an important command of Christ. And I've seen and heard about this happening in other countries as well. Instead of a nice baptismal tank like you saw here, there was one sensitive country where I saw the believers had inflated a colorful kiddie pool in order to do the baptisms. Last week, someone shared pictures with me about baptisms happening inside of rain barrels. I don't know how people even fit into them. And I've even heard of secret believers out in the desert who don't have the luxury of abundant water. So how did they adapt Christ's command? They studied God's word together. They saw how baptism pictured the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then they dug a six-foot grave in the desert at night and had a powerful baptism experience 
as they were immersed down into this grave and rose up again. Not a drop of water. Isn't that faith inspiring? Never underestimate a group of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, including yourselves. So a little bit about my story for introduction before we begin. 15 years ago, my wife and I learned about a people group whose population was larger than Canada, but still didn't have God's holy word in their language yet. They didn't have a single fellowship of Jesus' followers, not one. So we went out with our little boys, 40 hours of flight time in the air and six airports to the other side of the world. And it was a privilege to make our home in a beautiful Muslim country in Asia with warm hospitalities and some dangers too. The country where we lived had high unemployment and was low on the human development index. And so to help meet with this need, I had an education project teaching English and leadership, mainly in the medical sector, and was involved in disaster response projects. It gave me a concrete way to express the love of God and his truth. Love and truth presented together. This is our calling. This is what we steward. Many days, we received more from our friends than what we gave to them. And our Muslim friends sometimes associated with us at personal risk to their own lives. And my wife and I still miss them immensely. So as I think of the death and destruction and despair that still assails that particular nation today, it informs a deep passion in my heart from where I intend to speak today. So you might all think that you have a wonderful missions program here at Grant. And you probably do. But this morning I plan to unapologetically challenge you as a church, to not be comfortable with your current level of missions involvement. While I have a goal to encourage you, I also hope that a few of you are disturbed along the way today. Today I want to counter four misconceptions. First, that missions is on pause during the coronavirus. Second, it doesn't matter where we send missionaries. Third, we can avoid carrying our cross. And fourth, God can't use us in missions. So first, missions is not on pause. It's on. It's happening. Just as baptisms still go on during coronavirus, missions isn't on pause. It is complicated to navigate quarantines and changing airline regulations, but missions has always been a close friend of complicated circumstances. Complications can't stop missions, and God's people continue to go out even now. Last March, while people were canceling their plans, I had a friend who moved his ticket a few days earlier, just that if he had to be stuck somewhere, he could be stuck overseas. He wrote, I'm not sure what this next couple of years will look like, but I feel the Father's invitation to get back out there and get among these precious people. Another person just flew out a few months ago to a remote place with no internet, no hot water, She's making progress right now, learning a new language in the company of her local friends and her pet goat. Another family has their house sold, their flights are purchased, and they leave in nine days from Canada, moving long-term to a new country. These are ordinary people, just like us, but they have an extraordinary God who has called them. They're filled with faith, and though leaving is hard, they are pioneers who are excited to be finally be on their way after several years of preparation. And those that are already out on the field are seeing fruit too. 
They're adapting their methods for the pandemic. I know of many teams doing small or large-scale food distribution. Other teams are supporting local governments in their pandemic planning and response. Many are providing pastoral support for those struggling with anxiety. And an increasing number of our teams are involved in media ministry. One of our teams, I just heard, they've celebrated now their 10,000th Bible study that's happening over Facebook. Here's a favorite story from a team that was kicked out of a creative access country. Now they're living just across the border, and every three months, they gather the church leaders together for training. So they found that practical skills open the door for ministry. And so they do something called dentistry and discipleship. Training in pulling teeth and in movement-oriented church planning. What a combination. And we were able to just help them bring in a container of 32,000 Bibles into that area to equip the local believers. So this is a local church movement that is multiplying with four generations of believers now. In one area, this group has already planted churches in three neighboring unreached groups. So in just one year, they saw 16 groups multiply to over 80 groups. In Acts 12, it says, the word of God grew and multiplied. And this is what we're seeing in the harvest field today. And I like how this story shows two values that are important. Pioneering and partnering. These are like two train tracks. We need both of them. If we only pioneer to new places, we will miss out on fruitful multiplication practice of working with locals, even if there's only one or two believers in a city of three million people. Let's work with them. And if we're only partnering, we're going to miss out on the importance of placing new teams where there is no gospel witness currently. So another way to say this is that missions needs both Paul and Barnabas. Paul is that pioneer apostle who boldly goes out to new areas, always pushing out to these regions beyond. I'm done my work here. It's time to move on to Spain. This is Paul's heart. Barnabas is that partnering apostle who mentors and encourages new church planters. Usually we put the spotlight on Paul, but I've heard people say that, you know what, Barnabas is actually the more influential person in the New Testament. Are you more of a Paul or a Barnabas? Think about who God's created you to be, because we need both, so that pioneering and partnering are both taking place. Missions among the unreached is just as exciting as the macro level above these stories that I've shared here. Some of you have heard about the movements to Jesus happening inside the Muslim world today. The Quran already tells Muslims that Jesus is the Messiah, Isa al-Masih. Most don't understand what this means, but some are beginning to truly discover. So the news just keeps getting better in regards to movements, and I want you to listen to this report from an experienced researcher just published in November. Buckle up. We count a movement when it sees four generations of disciples gathered in churches in multiple streams. Usually a movement has a, a thousand disciples as a minimum measure. Counting this way, we know of 1,369 movements in the world today. Isn't that amazing? So how many believers does this represent? And keep in mind, these numbers are being double-checked, researched, some of these teams are under-reporting numbers from what they calculate, just so that they're not exaggerating. Plus, there's great stories that are still being checked into and haven't yet been confirmed that aren't being counted. 
He writes, based on what we've documented, movements currently include at least 77 million disciples in 4.8 million churches. So of these 77 million, estimates say roughly 30 million disciples are from a Muslim background, and another 30 million disciples are from a Hindu background. God is at work. The time for missions is now. So as I begin with these examples of God and his church on the move, I'm not saying everyone should start traveling and avoid advice to stay home. But I am saying everyone, or I'm saying that there are reasons for essential travel. Just like we honor truckers who are keeping our supply chains running. We honor gospel messengers who are urgently addressing the far greater pandemic of sin. Sin is further reaching. Sin is 100% contagious, and the symptoms are more severe and longer lasting. With fear and death increasing in the world today, our mission to offer true hope as the body of Christ is more important than ever. This is an urgent call today for more workers. The Lord of the harvest does not put his workers on serb. We could hardly have a better time to be focusing on missions than right now. First of all, biblically, we're currently in this in-between period of resurrection and Pentecost. Jesus had his 40 days on earth, plus the 10 days after the ascension when the disciples were waiting for Jesus to give his Holy Spirit to the church. There's not a whole lot written about Jesus in this in-between time, but if you study the verses that we have, they show Jesus revealing his full resurrected identity to his followers. And it shows him sending them out to the world to tell about it. Just like the Easter message where Pastor Cam showed how Jesus wanted Peter to get back to fishing for people, back to his calling. Jesus used his final days on earth to give the final task. We have numerous examples of this, with the most prominent being the verses in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I've read a lot of different definitions for missions from people, and I like taking mine from the Great Commission here. Let's look at these verses and consider what is missions. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To define missions, we can see three simple points from Jesus' words. The first one, missions is about going. It's about leaving your home. Second, missions is about reaching other cultures, all the nations, the ethne. Third, missions is about helping people to become disciples of Jesus. There's many ways to define missions, but if these three points are true, you know that it is missions. I'm happy with other definitions, but only as long as we preserve this core meaning of missions and don't water it down so that all of ministry is suddenly considered missions. But even the Great Commission here isn't the whole picture. We can zoom out even further. Missions is even bigger since it's actually a great story that begins in Genesis 1 already. There we see God creating humanity in love, then watching us reject him and fall. And then most of the pages of our Bible cover God enacting the greatest rescue mission in the universe to get us back. 
So missions is God's mission. God himself is the missionary. He has reached us as a missionary. And through us as his ambassadors, he plans to reach everyone else. It's also a good time now to consider missions focus because of the modern season. We see shaking happening in the world everywhere. It can feel scary. We've got coronavirus. We've got economic instability. We have wars and violence. We have slavery and injustice. We have divisive elements everywhere. What should the church posture be? Should we cower in the corner, biting our nails in apprehension? Should we crawl into our shell until the problems of the world just go away and it gets easy again? Or instead of focusing on the stormy waves, will we be more like Captain Marvel, ready to face the darkness as the anointed bride of Christ with an unbelievable strength that is not our own? Will we lift up our eyes to Jesus Christ, remembering he is the one who rides the white horse, wearing a robe that's dipped in blood because he has already conquered death? And he will finalize victory at the end. I watched the Grant sermon from Easter Sunday, and I love what Pastor Cam said. We are empowered. We are equipped. We are fueled by the life of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. We are empowered. We are equipped. We are fueled by the life of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is supposed to be the posture of the church in times like this. Do you have this life inside of you today? If you do, this is true of you. And what's the rush with missions? Does it matter? We would do well to remember that missions actually is not God's plan for all time. The church isn't supposed to be involved in missions forever. It's temporary. Missions is a task to finish, to complete. Let's go to Matthew 24, 14. It says this. And this gospel of the kingdom, this is Jesus speaking, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This is a finite, completable task. That brings us to our second point. Finishing the mission requires strategic focus. We want Jesus to return, but the Bible is clear. We first need to announce God's kingdom geographically, in all the world, like we read in this verse, and also ethnolinguistically, to all the nations. This is a huge task, isn't it? But with a billion of us working together, it's actually not that big. But we need to work together with strategic focus. We can no longer think it doesn't matter where we send missionaries. I lived where there was three tectonic plates converging together, and earthquakes were a regular occurrence. We would keep a spoon in a glass cup. Then at night, when it would rattle, we would jump out of bed, run and grab our kids, throw them over our shoulders, and run out of the house. It was kind of scary, and it was kind of exciting, especially since the earthquakes weren't so strong in our city. But an earthquake in the nearby mountains was devastating. And there was one where there was people needing a lot of food and shelter. And we could have just rushed a bunch of supplies out there quickly. But the UN, the Red Cross, were also involved. And so there was a risk of one family getting five tents and five food packages. So we brought a rapid response team together. We visited the villages, conducted a survey, collected names of needy people, and figured out what their needs were. 
since Westerners couldn't access this, mountain areas, this mountainous area because of the militants and the high distrust they had of outsiders, my contribution was to analyze survey lists, doesn't sound very exciting, from all three agencies and determine who was truly in need. By strategic coordination, we did not waste our resources or miss out on helping the most needy. In fact, our survey team traveled further than the others, even finding a village that had been untouched by other relief groups. The time is short. What happens when we take a strategic view of missions? Here's a map from the Joshua Project. The red color that you see here represents unreached people groups. This is 42% of the world. It's broadly represented in an area known as the 1040 window, which has 97% of unreached people. Where do you think the church should send its next harvest workers to? Canada has needs for ministry. There are opportunities up north in Quebec, here in Winnipeg. But Canada already has 18,000 Protestant churches. That's in the top 30 most populous Christian countries. The red area of the map is where there are actually populations of millions where less than 0.0001% know Jesus personally. Here's a second map. This one shows the dispersion where Christian missionaries are and where non-Christians are. I hope you can remember this one statistic. Only 3% of foreign missionaries actually work among unreached people groups. Most missionaries today work among Christians. And I'm not saying we need to take them all out of their ministries. They're all doing important things that are biblically rooted. That's fine. But the proportion isn't right. 3% of foreign missionaries should not be working among the unreached. I have a seven-minute video that explains that, and I'll offer that through the weekly church email. The point is, we can't just get involved for the sake of doing something related to missions. If you are going to do something, make it count. Maximize your efforts. Maximize your investment. Fortunately, the tide is starting to change. But we need more churches to catch this vision. Did you know that we actually could complete the task of bringing the gospel to every unreached people group in this generation? It's not too big for us. It's not too expensive. For each unreached people group, if there are 100 Christians, do you think that would be enough to do the job? 100 people working together? Well, there aren't 100 Christians. There are actually 78,000 Christians for each unreached people group in the world today. We could get the job done if we shifted our focus. So let's shift our perspective a little bit on missions. I'd like to lean into that a bit now. There's a tension right now Here's one aspect of it. 70 countries today don't give missionary visas. So get this. The Great Commission will not be accomplished by missionaries today. It's kind of weird hearing that. Rather, we need all citizens of the kingdom on board going out. We need professionals and apprentices. We need singles and families. We need entrepreneurs and medical workers. We need teachers and students. Let's refresh our thinking a little bit with a reminder of what the gospel is. Usually, from our, in our Canadian cultural perspective, we see a personal salvation narrative of the gospel. 
But there's also a strong kingdom narrative, right? Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom. And we don't think about the kingdom as often, maybe. Contrasting between the two, Jesus as our savior versus understanding Jesus as our king. Having our sins forgiven versus having the reign of Christ restored. Us going to church versus the church going out. Us going to heaven versus bringing heaven to earth. Calling ourselves Christians versus calling ourselves kingdom priests. Being born again versus being transformed. Having victory over sin versus having victory over evil. This isn't a right versus wrong perspective, but it's just about balance and seeing God's story with a different lens than maybe we have before. So now let's apply this to missions. Here's a missions perspective. That last chart was from a leader that I appreciate, and here's a few thoughts that I just want to add. Contrasting a common missions perspective versus a kingdom missions perspective. On one hand, we'll send anywhere. It doesn't matter where we're sending people. With the kingdom, we challenge all to go out to the frontiers of the field. Common perspective, we might delegate it to other churches. They'll take care of it. Kingdom perspective, being eagerly involved, wanting to have that personal involvement. A common perspective is seeing the danger and the risk. A kingdom perspective, we see God's power. We see his calling. Commonly, we prioritize per personal safety. In the kingdom, we prioritize obedience to our king. Commonly, we see missions as being only for special Christians. In the kingdom, we recognize Jesus gave this commission to all of his disciples, and it's for any of us. Commonly, with church planting, we might want to control, maybe replicate our church. In the kingdom, we want to empower the new believers so that they can multiply and be released. Again, this isn't sinful versus holy, but it's a challenge. Does your missions view... Does your perspective line up with the kingdom of God and the word of God? Finishing the mission requires strategic focus. But there's one other obscure verse that shows another requirement before God will draw the world's history to a close. In Revelation, we see the vision of missions clearly presented in both Revelation 5.9 and Revelation 7.9. It's kind of fun. Take a look at this when you go home after church or if you're home already. But... In between there, these two places where we see all the ethnic groups standing before the throne, in between there, we see Revelation 6, 9, which has a second condition to be met before God draws this story to a close. There we see the martyrs who are under the altar. They were faithful to their testimony, and they shout to the Lord, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them. They were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. This is sobering. To see how God is actually waiting until a certain number give their lives as Jesus did for their witness to the gospel. But this is missions, and we remember that just as God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, also precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Which brings us to our third point. Our calling 
has a cost to count. I think it's normal to prefer a mindset that says we can avoid carrying our cross. But one of the Bible promises that I never memorized in Sunday school for some reason is in 2 Timothy 3.12, where we read this. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Suffering is not exceptional for believers. Prison is not unusual. Martyrdom is the pattern that we see in Jesus and his disciples. Do we seek it out? No, not at all. But we must expect it. It's part of counting the cost. Luke 14, 28, Jesus says the story where he has this phrase, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Before we moved to Asia, a mentor encouraged us to follow this verse and count the cost. And so my wife and I made a list of things like landmines, intense heat in the summertime, mosquitoes with cerebral malaria, and separation from family back home. Then we prayed into this list, and God spoke to my wife and I separately in different ways, giving us peace. And he'll do the same for any of you, as he promises peace to us, that we don't have to be led by fear in a world that is permanently filled with trouble. We don't just wait for trouble to pass so we can get on with life and things get back to normal. That's not the right mindset. Trouble is permanent, and we have been given all the peace and all the commissioning that we need to move forward trouble with power. I remember how when we first moved overseas, there was a kidnapping threat announced specifically for Canadian women. And then, within our first two weeks overseas, we had a co-worker that was killed right close to where we were staying. Sometimes we would have three earthquakes shake us up in just one week, and we would fall asleep to sounds of gunfire in the distance. Our family had a medical evacuation. We faced misunderstandings from all directions, near and far. With ongoing conflict, we lost a number of our local and expatriate friends to attacks. And my wife and I each had close calls as well. Stress levels were normally high. And in all of this, God's presence never left us for a moment. If anything, he was closer. It was difficult, but we loved living there. And God gave us overflowing gratitude and joy each year while we were there. And it was so hard when we had to say goodbye and come to Canada. The years have taught me to place great value on experiences that empty us, knowing that they make room for God's presence and his grace in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. Do we have the faith to consider the positive value of pain? We must count the cost to be a disciple of Jesus. Die to ourselves. Expect pain and criticism, misunderstanding, even physical persecution. Trials and trouble are promised to us. I remember I'd often leave home for work, close the gate behind me, and recite Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? God's word carried us while we lived overseas, and he was amazingly faithful to us during those years. And you know what? God was no less faithful to our brothers and sisters who paid the highest cost of discipleship and gave up their lives. The key 
is to die before you go out. Baptism reminds us, we've had this, this practical, visible reminder that we already joined Jesus in his death. That's exactly how the power of sin was cut in our life. And we were set free to join him in resurrection life. And if we are already dead, what do we have to lose, really? We can try to preserve our lives and protect our stuff. But Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So yes, we want to count the cost. There's two more things we should count while we're at it. One, let's also count the cost of not going. For example, eternal loss. During this sermon alone, 3,000 souls are going to pass into a Christless eternity. Musician Keith Green said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. In some cases, there are personal costs if we are simply avoiding danger for the sake of staying comfortable. King David did not go out to war, and he fell into adultery. His story reminds us that we sometimes expose ourselves to greater danger by avoiding danger and clinging to safety and comfort. If we pursue safety first, we can miss God and pay the cost. If we pursue following the way of Jesus first, then he takes responsibility for us as we walk through the world. And second, we can also count the reward of suffering. That reward is joyful intimacy with Jesus. The Apostle Paul's heart, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That fellowship comes in suffering. We join with Jesus when we share in those, that experience of suffering. I remember the night after our colleague was murdered and we were driving home over the city's bumpy roads. We were still in shock. And then our three-year-old son in this dark four-by-four vehicle started singing, Great is thy faithfulness. The rest of us joined in and we found peace in singing about God's eternal and loving character. Even if pain and fear come to us in prison or loss or danger, God's comfort and his presence and his joy is our reward in suffering. And our fourth point, God has a unique role for each of us. You might think missions is just for weird people. And since the church already has enough of those, you're instead just going to get involved in other things. But let me challenge you with a reminder that there is a spiritual war being waged today. Some of you might play video games. There's an old video game that I've played called Age of Empires. In this game, you know the enemy is real. It's only a matter of time until the attack happens. So every single person has to be engaged in activities that move you closer toward victory, whether it's building or scouting or farming or mining. This wartime mentality is what we, as believers and churches, must embrace. When you live in a country that's desperate, under attack, everybody fights to defend, or everybody gets involved. Movie theaters, shopping malls, sports venues are emptied, as men and women and children run to the fighting with weapons. 
It's only those with strong reasons who don't get involved in the fight directly. It's the exception to stay back. As Canadians, we are ranked in the top 10 most peaceful countries, but we can't let this trick us into complacency, thinking that we're not involved in the great battle for humanity's souls. We need now to adopt this wartime mentality where it's all hands on deck, and we boldly step into God's salvation enterprise. Some need to stay back. Some need to go. But our commander-in-chief has a vital role for each one of us to play. The purpose of the church is not to preserve our comfort, but it's to serve our king. And like it says in 2 Timothy, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The missionary pioneer Hudson Taylor said, Many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. Who is willing to give up their life? Are you willing? Pastor Cam's words again. We are not simply invited to bring our sin to Jesus. We are invited to bring our entire lives to him, that he would fill us with his spirit and enable us to really live. You've been set up so well for this Mission Sunday. There's two final things for you. I want to give you an invitation and a challenge. I'd ask all of you to be in prayer for this moment, for God's voice to speak clearly. First, the invitation. God is speaking to each of us today. He says that the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few, and that we should pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. As the Lord sends workers, he uses us to send them. I want you to consider if this statement is true for you. I hear God's call, and I want to help send more workers. I will prioritize using my resources to help get the gospel to unreached people groups those red areas that we saw on the map. I hope that many, even most of you, will say yes to prioritizing the Great Commission in your life. Your resources represent your experience, your bank accounts, your time, calendar, your knowledge, your home and your vehicle, your spiritual gifts. You are choosing here, if you step into this, to put all these resources at God's disposal for the advancing of his kingdom in the places the Apostle Paul called the regions beyond. And as you do this, you acknowledge there is nothing inferior or second class about staying home and helping send others. The biblical ministry of sending is critically important. And second, I have a challenge that I want to give you today. God is calling some of you to pack up your suitcases and go, just like the family I mentioned at the beginning of the message. If this next statement is true for you, I invite you to respond. I hear God's call, and I joyfully embrace the cost. I am willing to serve God anywhere, without restrictions. I commit to go serve an unreached people group. I want you to either stand up or raise your hand if this is true for you today. Maybe you won't fly out on Monday, You'll intentionally take the next steps to be a witness of Jesus where he's not known today. 
where there are no churches easy to find. You are hearing his spirit speaking to you. You know you have many weaknesses and there's unknown territory ahead. But you are choosing to place your confidence in God and in his sufficiency, not your own. Again, we heard Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. If you are already crucified, you have nothing to lose. And you have God's glory among the nations to gain. This isn't a superior challenge to that first invitation. It's just a different role. You may have sensed a calling to missions for a long time already. Or this might be the first day that you considered it. But today you want to respond with a yes to God's voice. So I'm not going to belabor this challenge here, but I'm going to invite all of you one last time. Is this you? Does this describe you? I hear God's call and I joyfully embrace the cost. I am willing to serve God anywhere without restrictions. I commit to go serve an unreached people group. If you are in agreement with that, I want you to stand up in your living room or you can stand up here in the auditorium or raise your hand or you can even click if you're on the, the web view. And as you do that, I just want to bless those of you who have responded. And I bless you with that same persistence in your calling that Jesus showed in his mission on earth. And I bless you with roots that go deep down into God's love for you and his grace. May you know God's care. May you know his power in your life. May you know his faithfulness in and through you. And may your life inspire obedience in many others. So an action step for you. If you responded to the second challenge to go out, I have just one step for you to seal up your commitment. I want you to send an email today to worldmission at grantmemorial.ca. Worldmission at grantmemorial.ca. So the missions committee can follow up with you. If you meant it, don't skip this step. Before you go to bed, let them know of your commitment. The purpose of the local church is to fulfill the Great Commission. And I know that Pastor Steve and his team are going to come around you with support and encouragement. And they're going to bring strength to your journey as you head out to the harvest field. In closing, it takes a church to go. Will you be a church that goes? The time for missions is now. God's love is eternal and it's overflowing. But the world lacks it and is starving simply because it hasn't yet been presented to them. But God is not yet done revealing himself to the world. That moment when the gospel has been preached to all the nations and the last martyr has given her life, we're all going to know it at the exact same time. And until then, let's be strategic with our lives. Let's count the cost and not shrink back from it. Let's find our unique role and step into it with bold strength. I, right now, see Grant Memorial stepping into a new season of fresh obedience to the Great Commission. Not old obedience, fresh, new obedience to the Great Commission. And as you do so, may God bless you with an uncontainable joy that spreads to the ends of the earth. Amen. Now we're going to hear from two of the pioneering workers in the harvest field that all of you support as a church. Let's continue listening to God's voice as we turn our attention to this special video. I'm a longtime member at Grant, 
and in 2015, I felt like the Lord was asking me to pick up and move to the Himalayas and trying to reach the unreached and communicate the gospel to people who have never heard before. Something that I wish the Grant congregation would understand about my life overseas is that um, I think moving across the world and involving myself in the people that are so different than me and choosing to love people or choosing to love the people around me is both most, the most amazing thing I've ever done and the most difficult thing. And never once through it all have I wanted to leave. And I think that that's evidence of the greatness of God to give us capacities far beyond what we would think we would be able to do. But there has been costs. The place that we lived for five years, uh, the most recent five years, was a place where we couldn't continue. We had to leave because of visa issues. The year before that was compounded by the fact that my wife and kids actually had to leave to another uh, country because it wasn't healthy for them to stay there with the uh, severe government oppression that was growing and building and, and the tensions that were there. And so we basically lived apart for most of 10 months. There was actually physical danger associated with me being there, so there was, there was concern for sure and, and risk there. All we've done is just moved from the shallow waters with Jesus into deep waters with Jesus. And a lot of people there that are listening to my voice right now have also done that, just not overseas. And so the, the rewards of that is that you get to see and feel Jesus in a way that when you're vulnerable, when you're at your, the end of your rope, when you're at, at uh, a little bit over your head and Jesus shows up and God works in a visible, tangible way, it is such a great reward. Jesus' words are simple, but they're not easy. And I think the call to follow me and to make disciples of all nations, that's a simple, in some ways the words are really simple, but the actions aren't always easy. And so I think the cost is what every Christian has to grapple with, which is laying down your life. Um, but I think the grace is that Jesus promises us when we lay down our life, we get to pick up a life of following him, and the grace is that it's him that we're following. And so the cost is difficult. I do have to leave my parents, I do have to leave my family and friends here, but the grace is that God has provided community in new ways and in new places that I never expected. Um, and so, yeah, it is costly to die to yourself, um, but it's so rich to see the abundant life that God provides for us, and we can't see that without laying down our own life first. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.